Hi everyone, I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. And this is the Dapper Meeple. This show is about our love of gaming, the games we play, and the gaming community around this passion. So pull up a chair, put on your Dapper Meeple hat, and join us at the table. Hey kids, remember, this is an adult podcast and may contain adult language. Also, Dapper Meeple hat not required. So as we're kicking off the summer, hashtag hot drow summer, one of the biggest live play streams finishes up their second campaign. Who are you going to watch now? We got a few suggestions for you. We'll also look at a board game where you can step into the role of real heroes as you try to save a burning building in Flashpoint Fire Rescue. And is TSR making a comeback? And G4 TV? Hey, what year is it again? All of this coming your way on the Dapper Meeple. It's all right. Let's do this. Critical Role has finished their second campaign. It's so hard to believe how long they've been doing this. Right. And to come from a home game and just one day step into the, well, we're going to stream the whole thing. I mean, we've talked about this before, how Critical Role is definitely like the ideal group of people you would want to watch playing D&D, I guess is the... The way to say it, um, because they're all they're voice actors. They're all trained in improv. They're yes. all stage kids or theater kids. Yes. And that's uh, so I can see kind of the the appeal of that. But I would have never even watching some of the first episodes years and years ago would have never imagined it growing to what it has today. Oh, it's I mean, it, it, they've completely started their own business. They you know, the Kickstarter, I think, was a huge just signal to the rest of the world that this was a valid form of entertainment now that people were into this. You could have a lot of fun (laughs) with everyone. Right. I I think it really brought to the table that there are a lot of people who enjoy this type of thing. A lot of nerds, geeks, whatever label you want to throw on it. And a lot of them have money. Right. 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 And a lot of us, maybe not us, the right word, uh, grew up to be like, (laughs) you know, like sexy nerds. Like that's the thing now. I've seen a ton of TikToks that talk about it too. Like, no, 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 we didn't grow up sexy nerds. We went through all your shit and this is how we turned out. So (laughs) we, we've earned our time here. But it's great to see how the community surrounding them has really grown and changed. Like there've been growing pains. Any of you who have followed along for years know through different experiences and things like that. There have been some times where the community had gotten toxic and, you know, just that sort of thing that when you're putting content out into the wide world that you're going to eventually run into the bigger that you get. And they've taken some criticism um, just for who they are, for putting things out they have. Um, And then the community really was bad about lashing out when this kind of stuff was pointed out. I mean, if we're making mistakes, it's good to get them taken care of. And I think that's kind of one of the things that they really are trying to change. Uh, with the second campaign down, they're trying something new. Exandria Unlimited. So it's kind of like a mini campaign that they're trying out here. Which I really enjoyed in between campaign one and campaign two when they did the one shots. Mm-hmm. 
it was it was really cool to see them play characters outside of what we're used to seeing them play. Yeah, because yeah. week after week, you get so used to seeing these specific people play these characters over and over and over. You identify them with that. And then to see them break out of that norm, you know, with something different and exciting, I, I think is really good. Uh, one thing I like about this is that it's not going to be, you know, 120 episode campaign. We're talking about eight episodes, which is first off a whole lot more digestible. Um, most of us, probably many of us do not have, you know, four hours every week to devote to watching something like this. Or if we do have the time, a lot of us, you know, we just have other things we feel that with. So to have something like this, it's a little more digestible, a little easier to take in, a little easier to follow along as well, I think is a really good move in, in the right direction. I'm excited about seeing Matt get to actually be a player. Uh, we've seen it in some of the one shots like the undead wood and things like that. But Matt actually gets to be a player in his setting that he wrote. Um, and that's got to be nerve wracking for the new GM. Abria Iyengar is the new GM for um, Exandria Unlimited. She's been on Dimension 20. She does a podcast called the Storybenders Podcast. She was the GM for the Guild Plays D&D with uh, Felicia Day from the Guild. The show right, got together right. and played. And she is streaming all over the place. That isn't even, I mean, tip of the iceberg of what she has done in the D&D community and streaming and gaming in general. Uh, I think she's a great choice to run this. But to be sitting across the table from the man who wrote the setting, like this is his world. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about like you're sitting there running, you know, Redbox D&D with Gary Gygax. Like that's kind of <laughs> that's what, what we're talking about here. And to it's one thing when you are if you have your own homebrew game where you can change things on the fly, you know, your characters, they do something and you have this really cool idea of how the world around them would react to it. Maybe you didn't think of it before, but hey, it's your world so you can do it. Now you are not only playing within a fixed setting that you can't go. Oh, well, that's how they would do it here. When the guy across the table gives you that look of, are you sure? <laughs> right. I, I I don't know. I picture Matt. Um, Matt's the type of guy that would be excited to see his world through somebody else's lens. So she's got an opportunity to shape Exandria. You know, um, the campaign is going to kick off. It begins in Amon, which is the city that was destroyed originally by the Krona Conclave, the, the dragon, that storyline that happened in the first campaign. Um, and this is like 30 years later and they're still recovering from it. Um, and that's where this is going to take place. But so she's even playing in a place that they've been before and she gets to put her stamp on some cannon in yeah. the world. I think that's really cool for her. Um, and like I said, I mean, Matt Mercer's that I just I see you being the type of guy that would just be like, yep, that's cannon and just going with it. That's fair because he he does seem very, very open to sharing things that he's made with other people. Yeah. You know, allowing them to move and mold and affect those kind of things. I mean, you saw it with the when he came up with that Blood Hunter class. Yeah. Um, all the different iterations that it's gone through, based on feedback from people who took took the class and played with it, and then he came. They came back to him, and he went in and changed. You know, some of the stuff that they described to him needed to be tweaked a little bit. So I imagine kind of a similar scenario here. Um, we're really giving her the reins to kind of do what she wants with it. Um, I think it's it's awesome because 
it allows us to really see another part of of Exandria as well. Like yeah. to to see a kind of a different story than ones we've heard before. Oh sure. I mean, look at the other, you know, settings that are out there with Ravenloft and Forgotten Realms. How many storytellers have written their stories on top of that, you know, that that framework that you have and now to be able to see like you know she's doing it and it happens because they released the book it's uh, the books out there um mm-hmm. uh, the taldori guide um those at the wild mount yeah explorer's guide to wild mount yeah so there's a couple of them out there um but she gets to do it sitting across the table from the guy i think that's pretty cool uh the other rest of the cast that they're going to have on there is i mean crowd favorite ashley johnson is coming into play uh liam o'brien and then they're bringing in uh, two new voice actors, Amy Carrero, who is the voice of She-Ra in the new animated series. Um, she's also been on Blind Spot, and in her IMDb, it says that she is going to be in the Boys spinoff. Uh, if you don't know the the show from Amazon Prime, the Boys, based off of a comic book, where superheroes don't automatically become this altruistic, we're going to be good guys. Um, and they just kind of roll with what we kind of expect of human nature. Uh, so there's a spinoff to that, and she's supposed to be in it. Um, she looked like a lot of fun. I was watching some of the interviews. Uh, she was excited to play this. And then Robbie Damon. Um, he's been a big voice actor for anime. You see his name will come up a lot. Um, I know he's done a voice in Attack on, uh, Attack on Titan, Seven Deadly Sins. Um, he had a whole list on the resume uh, that he's been in uh, for voice acting on the anime side. So bringing in some more experience, uh, they, it seems like they're going to be an interesting crew to watch. Yeah. I think we can expect the, the same kind of level of quality and stuff that we have come to see with critical role over the years. You know, um, I imagine that these, well, these are all people that they knew like friends of theirs in the industry. Um, and I can't see them, you know, making a wild bet on somebody (laughs) whether GM or player, um, especially with the type of following that they have. So I think it'd be interesting. I think it'd be good to watch. Um, like I said, again, very digestible with an eight episode run instead of, you know, the long campaigns that we're used to from them. There are all these stories out there that, you know, Critical Role kind of brought a lot of it to light. Um, Joe Maganello, I know, runs a celebrity D&D table. Um, I think one of the best ones was like everybody at the table could, you know, deadlift like 400 pounds or something. It was yeah. like the big show. <laughs> Jocks Machina. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's those ones going on. I know Star Trek Discovery, the uh, TV show, they have a cast D&D game that I think it's ran by Anthony Rapp, who plays the uh, the engineer. That's basically their link to the spore drive yeah. on the show. Um, he runs it. So he uh, he has a couple of posts every now and then talking about their game, which their game seems like a lot of fun. Um, so all these celebrity games that come out, like it's getting to be a big thing. Um, I know Deborah Ann Wall, who she has been around for a while in this community. Um, and as a celebrity, like D and D pusher, it was, there was always rumors of her starting D and D games or whatever she was on. She did uh, true blood. She was on the Netflix show for daredevil. Mm-hmm. She is also ran for D and D live. I believe. Yep. She did run a couple of games for a couple of different, different seasons of that. Um, and then she had her own show. Where was it? Relics and rarities, relics and rarities where she had a, basically they would sit in this room with all these weird things, like just, you know, bobbles and things around them. 
and the characters before each game would go pick something and that would give them an advantage. Like it would pick a watch that w- could cast like time stop once a day or something. But she had the physical piece there and then they would always have like a celebrity come in and play with them. Yes. Uh, so that one was really cool. So it's getting like we talked about at the beginning. Geek and nerd is getting to be sexy. Well, I, I think it's it's getting to the point where all these people who grew up in the the time where these things were being birthed, right? You know, Dungeons and Dragons, TSR, all the originals when they first came out, you know, the kids who are playing them in their parents' basements or wherever they could are now adults. And now they still have those same enjoyment and experiences from those hobbies. And they're starting to bring them into wherever they are. You know, it just so happens. Some of those kids grew up to be movie stars or voice actors or, you know, professional wrestlers or whatever (laughs) have you but they still enjoy those things and i think that just really speaks to the fact of how this hobby really does transcend who you are and where you are in life it doesn't matter it you know where you came from where you ended up what job you have how much money you make you can sit down at a table with other people and share these experiences D&D Live has been a favorite kind of of mine for a couple of years. Uh, last year, it was a little rough with the pandemic. This year, D&D Live 2021, it's a, a streaming event, July 16th and 17th. It's going to premiere on G4. So I was reading the press release on Wizards of the Coast, where it keeps talking about D&D Live presented by G4. Now, saying like you were talking about, some of us remember some of the old days. G4 was a, a TV channel that was for gamers, by gamers was their thing. Um, but there was a lot of crazy stuff that went on in the background. Like they were trying to like pay some of their talent with like pizza or something. Um, and some of the talent that came out of that, Morgan Webb, who is a player on Acquisitions Incorporated from time to time. She has her own web series that she does. Mm-hmm. Um, Olivia Munn from she was Attack of the Show. She, she's gone on uh, to All be sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, she was yeah. Psylocke. <laughs> Like her, her geek bona fides are solid, solid. Um, so yeah, so G4 TV apparently is making a comeback now. Like they're going to bring it back on the air and they're working with wizards of the coast and they're talking about different games and live plays and shows that are going to be on there. Yeah. So I think D and D live is a great place for them to start because it's always a solid event. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do remember when they, one of my favorite watching was, Back when they came out with um, uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist and they basically built their whole D&D live set was all locations in Waterdeep. And they had different actors and stuff like that. Um, And I know there were a couple good videos where they were kind of going around like they went to the little tavern area they had. And then, of course, they had the stage where the actual live games were being played. Uh, That whole... Like just everything about that was really cool. So uh, I look forward to when they we can go back to doing in-person events like that. But even then, the games that they bring together are always solid. It always has a star-studded cast, like whatever the game is. Because um, that's the one game you referenced about everyone at the table being able to like deadlift over 500 pounds or something like that. That was the one. It was ran by Mike Merles. Um, and it was the big show, um, Travis Willingham, Joe Manganello, and I can't remember the other guy's name, but he was another big dude. 
and they all played like either some sort of like barbarian or of course um, they did yeah the big show he played uh like a half giant character <laughs> i was like well that only makes sense you know but um always their games are really good they're very well done with a great cast great gms yes um so it's always something to to watch even if you don't catch it when it's live go back and watch the uh, recorded versions so the game that they've announced for DD live so far and they've already put out too that this is all going towards extra life so go check out their page if you can donate you can already donate to the page um so they've already got it open and ready to go but the table that they've announced so far is the dm is going to be kate welsh which it is my dream to play at Kate Welsh's table. For, she's a fantastic GM. She's creative. Um, I've got her signature on my Rick and Morty Dungeons and Dragons set because she had worked on that. We met her at PAX. She was great to talk to. Like, just seems like she's genuinely the good person that you see on the screen. Um, so she's going to be DMing. And her table is going to be Jack Black, Kevin Smith, Jay Muse. Lauren Lapkus, Reggie Watts, and then a surprise player, which we haven't heard who it's going to be yet. But just that lineup, anybody that knows me also knows that I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan. Just I like the guy um, for what he puts out in the world, like not just his movies, because some of the last ones were a little crazy. Um, You got to really be a super (laughs) fan to get into him. I think Tusk is one of the greatest American movies ever made. But the stuff he does like on his podcast and stuff, I mean, he was some of the inspiration for us starting this podcast. Because he always talks about it. Like, man, go make a podcast. There's nobody stopping you. You know, there's nobody that's going to be able to tell you no. All you got to do is get the stuff together and put it out in the world. Um, So that's going to be great. But then Jay Muse, so Jay and Silent Bob are playing at the table. And I just hope, I just hope that their characters (laughs) give me something. You know what I'm saying? The potential is there, definitely. So I think and then Jack Black, who, I mean, I don't know if he's played before. I don't know if he's one of them. I could see it. Um, but I would expect that, I mean, whatever character he plays is is going to be a little off the wall. I mean, it almost just has to be. So. Yeah, I always enjoy watching the games with these celebrity guests, especially ones who aren't really familiar with D&D, because you still watch them bring like all of their acting stuff to the table. Right, their creativity, the way that they think, the stuff that you're used to seeing them do, now they're applying to our game. Yeah, yeah. It's always it's always new, creative, and fun. Whatever it is that that they do, um, I know one of my favorites was um, I was watching a game where uh, Terry Crews was playing. Yes, yeah, and absolutely hilarious. Everything I would expect him to be at a table was exactly what he was. So, um, yeah, I'm always excited about games like that. So that's D and D Life, uh, 2021. That's the first game that they've announced. I'm sure there'll be some more updates and things like that as we get closer. Um, you said that was July 16th and 17th. That's what they're planning for that. Oh, that's the whole stream is going to be from July 16th, 17th. Yep. So yeah, and again, sponsored by G4, which and uh, their press release they go on to talk about. You know, G4 is returning in 2021, so somebody's breathing life back into it, and it looks like they're getting off on the right step, which seems to be a thing that's happening this summer, because we picked up another article that TSR is back. Right, so TSR um, is being brought back by Gary Gygax Jr. Yes. Right? Um, So it's been... It's been a few years. <laughs> it, it's been a little bit, right? So TSR was the company that started 
is where D&D started. They were the publisher um, when Gygax came up with this. And so we're talking D&D, Advanced D&D, which is, you know, 2.0. Um, and then Wizards of the Coast bought them. And then they were kind of rebranded when we came out with D&D 3.0. And TSR kind of fell off. And there were some issues. There was a couple of lawsuits went back and forth over uh, names and who had rights to what. Uh, I think they've gotten most of that figured out now is what it seems like. And Gygax Jr., like you said, has the company and is the creative vice president, I believe. So he's the one. It uh, sounds like he's steering this. So I'm really my thing is going to be like, what are they going to what are you going to do? Like you guys made D&D at one point. What do you got next? Right. Uh, I'm interested to see. But at the same token, like it's a much different landscape than it was back when, you know, T- oh, yeah. Yeah. TSR first put out the the original D&D stuff. I mean, this hobby has grown so much from, you know, it's not just wargaming anymore, which was the birthplace of D&D. It's so much more than that now. But not only that, anybody out there can create their own gaming system. I can put it out into the world, whether it be, you know, drive through RPG, DMs Guild kickstarter if you're brave enough to go that route right you know whatever you want to do there are many ways for now like just small you know small individual publishers or even people to create these systems and put them out where people can get their hands on them you know back in you know the old days those are your only <laughs> options you back know when i was remembering <laughs> things yeah so the landscape has definitely changed uh, it depends on how much weight the name will carry now sure um i i think that kind of has a lot to uh to do with maybe the success or failure of it but then again i mean they're still gonna have to put out a very solid product to be able to make it in today's market oh yeah 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 because yeah. like you said i mean there are there's so many good games. Like I have a stack next to me of games that you know we're going to get around to playing. Hopefully, uh, you know, Vampire the Masquerade. I've got the Dune Imperium uh, Adventures in the Imperium from Modifius Games. I've got the Italian role playing game. Right. We got Coyote and Crow that's going to be coming out before long too. I mean, just so many different games that are out there now and different systems and things like that. So I'm interested to see what he does because I mean, Gary Gygax Jr. has grown up in this world where now things are different. Sure. Sure. So it's not his father's gaming landscape anymore. And so I think it definitely has potential to see kind of which way they go with it. Um, I hope they're able to put something out that really, you know, carries the weight of that name. So Uh, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on. So all right, so here we go. Moving into the summer. There's a lot going on. I'm absolutely cheering TSR on. Like, I want to see some good stuff. So, like we said in our intro, Critical Role finished up their second season. Uh, we know that a lot of people came to this hobby by experiencing Critical Role and watching, you know, that group play. But with them kind of taking a hiatus, I mean, they're going to be doing the mini campaign. But there are a lot of other shows out there to watch. Maybe you don't feel like such a heavy game or something that could be so emotionally engaging. You want something that's a little more fun. Maybe you want something that's a little bit darker. 
So we're going to talk about some options that are out there. We have five different shows that we think uh, most people can probably get behind. Um, and then maybe just to mix up your routine a little bit. Right. One of the enjoyable things about RPGs are they are so varied in their presentation. Uh, you have ones like Critical Role that tend to be very story heavy. Also pretty like deep emotional connections with the characters. On one end of that, I, I, they probably fall in the middle. On one end of the spectrum, though, you also have those games that are very lighthearted and fun. Um, it's more about the hijinks than it is anything. It, those are good for, you know, a good afternoon watch um, to enjoy that kind of story where you don't have to, you know, become emotionally invested into these characters. Um, and then on the opposite end of that spectrum, you have those darker games, you know, ones like Vampire the Masquerade and things like that that we've talked about. So let's hop into the first one, um, which is Dimension 20. Now, they have a few different campaigns that they run regularly. Um, one of their newer ones is Fantasy High. Well, that was campaign one. Okay. Yeah, the first campaign, which I'm working my way through that right now. And I think that it, it has gone on for a couple of seasons. I think they bounce around because I think now they're in their like sophomore year or something. The, the premise of, the, of that season was that these characters were going into their freshman year of high school in this world that was set in the D&D, &D, in like a D&D &D world, but kind of resembled like 1950s America. So, you know, taking all the stuff that we love about D&D, &D, the classes, the adventure, the monsters, the magic, and kind of rolling it on top of that framework. Um, I, I've been watching the first season of that and have really enjoyed watching the characters interact, you know, with the typical kind of, you know, high school angst and, you know, the things that went on when you were like, for those of us that can remember being a freshman in high school. Um, but uh, Brendan Lee Mulligan is the game master, and I absolutely love watching him work. This is put on by College Humor, correct? That's right. Uh, so if any of you remember some of the old skits and stuff that they used to do, but their new games, uh, with dimension 20, uh, they've had quite a few outside the main campaign. They've had a, quite a few special guests as well, doing, mm -hmm. um, side quests and things like that. Um, just all in all a very good, enjoyable stream. And they have put out a bunch of content. If you've never seen them that you can go back in and kind of catch up on. So they do have a YouTube channel that you can find. I know all of the first season of Fantasy High is in there. Um, there may be the entire second season. Um, they've got a couple that you can go in there and watch. But mostly they're on dropout.tv, which is College Humor's site. And so I know there is a subscription to get to everything. But there is a pretty big chunk on their YouTube. And like Josh was saying, they've had a lot of good... There's the entire the cast from College Humor. So Emily Axford... Uh, uh, Lou Wilson, uh, Brian Murphy, people that you've seen in the skits over and over again. Um, but then they've done a couple like the escape from blood keep was, uh, Matthew Mercer was in it. Amy Vorpal, um, Erica Ishii. Like, so a lot of names, uh, will pop up over and over again. What was the one with the brothers, the McElroy brothers, the McElroy's. Yeah. Yep. And their, their dad, um, all played on a side quest with them, which if you haven't heard of them, they did the podcast, the adventure zone, which they did quite a few seasons of, um, which is absolutely hilarious podcast. Um, 
of their take on a D&D game. Um, so if you ever want to check them out as well. So that's Dimension 20. There's a lot of stuff there. Um, a lot of different flavors, too, within their games. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much a good all-around live stream there. Yeah. And speaking of lighthearted, let's talk Acquisitions Incorporated. So Acquisitions Incorporated is the PAX Live D&D show. Um, it's usually only put on during the PAX conventions uh, four or five times a year. Yeah, PAX East, PAX West. PAX Oz, PAX U, South, PAX South. The DM on this one used to be Chris Perkins. The reins were handed off to Jeremy Crawford a couple years ago. 2018. Yep. Yep. And he has been running with it ever since. Uh, The cast is kind of changes depending on who can make it to the show. There's always a couple that are always there. Um, Jerry Hulkins and Mike Krahulik. Yes, uh, are usually always there. Uh, Pat Rothfuss tries to make as many as he can. uh, Because apparently he doesn't have a book to write or anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, yeah, their cast varies. Um, Morgan Webb has played on their cast. Um, Anna Prosser is pretty regular. Uh, Even Kate Welsh has played as Rosie Beestinger. Right. You know, not your grandma's grandma, except for those times where she is your grandma's grandma. Uh, just it's a great cast and it's a really lighthearted watch and they've been doing this since like 2010 so they've been live streaming games long before anybody thought it was possible to make that work this game is an excellent one to go and watch some of the past episodes because it is consecutive even though they only play like once every couple months right uh, which is exceptional in and of itself to remember Um, but having the official guys from wizards of the coast be your dm um, has always been, you know, something exciting and cool to watch because it leads to things like when we were at PAX U, we found out that kissing someone is apparently a free action um, officially. That's Jeremy Crawford's ruling. So and since he is the lead rules designer of D&D, you guess you got to kind of go with it. And it involved Jim Dark Magic having to make out with his lich that he had accidentally sent to hell and was coming for revenge. So it was a good storyline. <laughs> you just had a little bit to catch up on. Um, whenever there's a new setting released, these guys jump on it. But like you said, Chris Perkins was the GM before this. And then he handed off to Jeremy Crawford. So you imagine they've probably got direct access to the newest and latest D&D content. The other part of Acquisitions Incorporated um, to mention is the C-Team. Right. And to explain the C-Team, I think we've got to talk a little bit about the idea of Acquisitions Incorporated. In this game, what they tried to do was bring humor from like the office and the community into a D&D setting. So Acquisitions Incorporated is technically a company that exists in the D&D world whose specialty is acquiring items, right? So... You can work for the company, but it is very like there's a lot of bureaucracy. So much so that Wizards of the Coast actually produced a Acquisitions Incorporated rule book. So you can put that into your game. You know, that it shows the different, you know, like positions that there are, um, what each acquisitions uh, franchise should look like. And yes, they franchise it out. And that's where we got the CT. Right, so the C-Team game is actually run by Jerry Hulkins. He's the DM for it. Um, And it includes a few different cast members, um, which 
they are functioning as a franchise of acquisitions incorporated. And it's always funny when one of them then gets to play in the main game uh, because they talk about how they get brought up to the big leagues and, you know, things like that. Those normal jokes, you know, you would, you would think around like office type humor. Um, it's uh, an excellent show. That's a lot more regular than the uh, main game, which is nice to kind of fill the gap in between. Uh, but it does have its completely own storyline and all that sort of thing. Right. Completely separate. Um, one of my favorite players that I've seen on Acquisitions Incorporated, and he's made the last five or six games, has been Xavier Woods uh, from the WWE. He is part of, well, was part of the New Day, uh, that tag team wrestling group. Um, but he got injured actually for a while. Uh, but he was still able to show up to a few of the the PAX shows. He is absolutely hilarious. Uh, has a great sense of humor, plays right. his character like excellent. Um, he is real big into gaming anyway. Yes. Um, he has his own um, show that he does. Up, right? up, down, down. Yeah. I think it's either Twitch or YouTube. Right. This whole show is an excellent one to go back and watch. Yeah. Um, and it's not a ton of episodes to kind of catch up. Um, but even if you don't watch the previous stuff, um, the next packs that they're able to do, which um, hopefully, especially this year, we get packs you back, um, is definitely one to watch. All right, so the next one we want to talk about is a fairly new show. Uh, I believe they're only on episode 13 or 14, I believe, um, and that is the Black Dice Society. So this is an official Wizards of the Coast Dungeons & Dragons stream, and it takes place in the Ravenloft setting. So the new book that just came out from Wizards of the Coast this year was uh, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, which really dove in pretty deep. Uh, to that setting. It was a gothic horror type setting for anyone that doesn't know that everybody's always like, it's been a fan favorite for a long time. And this book really got into it. And then this is their live stream, which I'm pretty sure they have, you know, to promote that setting. Right. And which, I mean, this, like you said, this setting has been a fan favorite, uh, we had from the original when it first came out, uh, I think it was like third edition, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Uh, then we got Curse of Strahd, where they kind of did a redo on it in fifth. And now, of course, we got the Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Um, so it's an excellent gothic horror setting. Uh, and the cast on this looks pretty good as well. Uh, I They actually debuted in April at GaryCon. The, uh, the DM for it is B. Dave Walters, which is a name that's going to come up a lot. I did look to, and he did do a side quest with uh, Dimension 20. So B. Dave Walters has been <laughs> in most of the games that we've talked about. He did uh, Dungeons & Dragons A Darkened Wish for IDW Comics. The creator and DM of the Darkened Wish streaming show was for Wizards of the Coast as well. Um, and DM of Idle Champions Presents for CNE Games. Um, and he also plays in a game we'll talk about here in a minute. He plays Baron Victor Temple on Vampire the Masquerade, L.A. by Night, which we'll talk about here. I've seen him uh, a couple times. I like him. He also did the uh, interview that we talked about with R.A. Salvatore on our last show. Some other players in this game, um, they actually will pop up across the next couple ones. Some of the notable ones, uh, Becca Scott, who had the series on Geek and Sundry, uh, Game the Game, 
uh, where they went through tabletop games, played them, showed you how to play that whole nine yards, which was an excellent series. Go take a look at that. Um, she's a player in this game, uh, as well as you go through the other ones. DJ Knight is in it as well. Mark Mir, Nora Ibrahim. Uh, she is also in LA by night. Yes. Um, as Sage Ryan, um, and as well as, uh, Tanya DePass, which she is actually in the cast for one of the other ones we'll talk about as well. So there's a, a lot of, um, kind of, uh, mix and match on these series. The last couple, uh, which apparently these people are just busy playing role-playing games all the time, which, right. you know, uh, dream jobs. I don't know how you guys got into this, but I think at some point, I want to have somebody come on to tell us how to do that. Uh, that'd be pretty exciting for us. Yeah, this one looks like it's a lot of fun. This one was also, they were talking in one of the episodes. So Jeff Goldblum came on to play a sorcerer in their game. And I haven't seen it yet, but I love Jeff Goldblum. He is, this man is excited about everything that he runs into in life. And he just seems like that would be, that's somebody that I want to watch play. Um, but he does make an appearance on their show. It looks really good. Like I said, it's the it's gothic horror D and D. I'm not sure how many episodes they're planning on going for, but the cast looks kind of amazing. Um, check them out. They can be found on Wizards of the Coast, uh, their official Twitch channel, or the D and D YouTube channel. And let's go right into the Vampire of the Masquerade. Then, if you're looking for something other than D and D, maybe you want to expand your repertoire. Maybe you're just tired of D and D. Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition has been a game that we talked about on the show before. It is definitely a darker game. It was originally produced back in the 80s, and it was one of the first games where you were allowed to play the monster. You take on the role of a vampire in, you know, modern day, and the Masquerade refers to the fact that you don't want everybody to know that they're a real vampire, so there's this wall that's kind of put up between vampire society and human society and, you know, breaking that causes problems and things like that. So vampire, the masquerade LA by night is a web series. Uh, the story is developed by the storyteller, Jason Carl stars, Erica Ishii, who she's the voice actress behind the new apex character. B Dave Walters, again, Alexander Ward and Cynthia Marie in the vampire, the masquerade lore, there have been free states that have been created um, as opposed to being under the control of the Camarilla, which is the overarching kind of vampire government. Um, there's been some areas that have broken away, um, part of California, I believe, all the way down to the Mexico border. Um, but L.A. is one of those areas that is supposed to be like the free state for vampires. And this ragtag group has gotten themselves involved in the politics and you know, the back and forth where the Camarilla are always trying to reclaim Los Angeles just because, I mean, it's such a huge city and a hub. Uh, the Anarch movement is trying to keep it free and you know, out of their hands. There's a lot of that, like, you know, subterfuge because you just can't, you can't be running around killing people as a vampire. You have got to play it cool and make sure that the masquerade stays up. So it's a fun game. Um, and these guys are, are fun to watch play it. Uh, they do kind of, um, really kind of bring it to life if you've ever been interested in Vampire or you're interested in the 5th edition to kind of see how that plays. This is a good place to go check it out. So the last one we have is a very uh, interesting stream that we wanted to talk about. Um, and the name of it is Into the Motherlands. More than just a stream, this is a whole new system that was developed 
um, and put on Kickstarter. You pull their Kickstarter. It was funded in like 90 minutes. They just finished up. The last update they had on the site was June 20th. They raised about $360,000 for this. It is described as an Afrofuturist TTRPG. So all the design team, the people that worked on it are people of color and designed it with their uh, point of view in mind. And it is set in the future. If you look at some of the artwork, I mean, it looks fantastic. Um, it looks like there are like humans, uh, cyborgs, human hybrids. Um, I haven't got a chance to dig into this one. And I found out that they're actually streaming their system on their Twitch channel. So you can find their Twitch channel if you go to Cypher of Tear, C-Y-P-H-E-R-O-F-T-Y-R. All one word. Um, that's where they're going to stream this. Now, the group that put this together, the creative director was Tanya DePass, uh, which we talked about. She was playing in Black Dice Society. Mm-hmm. The lead developer on this was B. Dave Walters. So he's playing in there. Uh, we see Gabe Hicks uh, as a designer. Um, their storyteller is uh, Eugenio Vargas. Uh, Christina Ariel is a player who she was PAX's TTRPG outreach person uh, for 2020. I think she still may be handling that. DJ Knight is playing in this one again. Uh, Tanya DePass actually plays. Uh, Michael Sinclair, the second, uh, is one of the gamers, former Navy guy. Uh, so that's who's playing on their stream. It's a different system. And the setting itself, I think I really, you know, this is there's plenty of room in this market. And this is something that I don't think's really been done. We talked a little bit about Coyote and Crow, which was designed by, you know, uh, Native American artists, Native American developers. It should be out at the end of this year. They should be shipping. Into the Motherlands is another one of those settings. You know, the world would be a very different place. Yeah, it, it's going to be a very interesting system. I want to see not only how it plays, but how they kind of run with it. Um, I'm excited to see that kind of diversity in gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that we talk about and is, you know, bringing everyone and having a place at the table for them. Um, so to see something like this um, is excellent. It's right along the same kind of lines that we enjoy and appreciate. So I'm excited to see what direction they take it. So, yeah, so they started the stream as they were developing this. All right. So there we go. There is plenty there to keep you busy and sated. And maybe you'll find something here that you will want to follow longer. Let us know if there's some of them that we miss. Let us know what your favorites are, if they're podcasts, if they're streams, um, if it's a bunch of you and your friends sitting around streaming a game. I mean, you see what it did for Critical Role. I got this right of life, I'm crossing over in the night. Water, I'm Flashpoint Fire Rescue, designed by Kevin Lansing and published by Indie Boards and Cards. Players take on the roles of heroic firefighters battling the blazing inferno inside of a house. The goal of this cooperative game is for players to rescue seven victims before the house is consumed. On their turn, players take actions and activate abilities until reaching their action point limit. Once they have done all they can do, the player rolls to add more fire to the board and resolves the effects of that roll. Lastly, players add any additional point of interest tokens to the board and play passes to the next player. Play continues this way until players have rescued seven victims or the fire consumes the house. 
Flashpoint Fire Rescue has multiple options to either lower or raise the difficulty, including a two-sided game board, multiple roles, and additional game pieces and rules that make each game challenging and enjoyable. So one of the big things about gaming that I think everyone enjoys is that opportunity to step into the boots of someone else. Like, most people enjoy playing the hero, some enjoy playing the villains, and this game is one of those where you're really getting to play like true heroes in everyday life. Firefighters, for what they do and their job, they're incredibly brave. They're the ones that are doing, you know, so that others may live. So definitely hats off to actual firefighters. And this game is a, it's a great playthrough. Um, every time we played it, it has been a blast. Um, and it may seem simple. And as you look at the game, it looks simple, but it can get incredibly complicated fast and you can lose really quickly. Right. I love this. First of all, cause it's a cooperative game. So that automatically puts it in one of my favorite categories. Um, but also I love how this is a, a very simplified version um, of a game like pandemic where it, it has a easy rule set. They actually call it a family mode. Right. I saw that. Um, to, to where you can pick up this game and teach it to whoever you have at the table, whether they be first time gamers or not. Um, and you can play through that easy mode, like no problem. Now that doesn't, I say easy mode, but that doesn't mean the game is easy by any stretch of the imagination, but it's easy to explain the rules, easy to explain how to play and actually get players into playing the game you know, faster than having to explain a lot of rules. That's one of my favorite parts about the game. The other thing is that it then immediately can scale higher. There's a, another side of the board that's a more difficult house to play in. You have various um, roll cards with, you know, variable player powers that you can have. You even have um, hazmat tokens that can get put inside the house that can explode. You have the fire truck on the outside that can try and spray water into the house. Um, there's all sorts of things like that that you can add to add complexity to the game once you have your feet under you off of just playing the original game. Yeah, the scaling rule system I really like because you can sit down with new people and play this and it's still a challenge. Um, but then once you go to ramp it up, you learn that fire is unpredictable. Um, it definitely gives you the opportunity for this game to change. Right. The one thing that I think people will have problems with is the random dice roll mechanics that really influence the game. Yes. Which to me, I'm with you. Fire is unpredictable. I think it makes perfect sense, but a lot of people will, you know, shy away from randomness in their games. Sure. For whatever reason. Sure. Cause you could, you could potentially lose a game of this simply because of bad rolls. Right. Uh, so, so we'll talk a little bit about the game. There's a two sided board. Each person gets to determine which firefighter character they're going to use. Right. You can either play as a generic firefighter character if you want to have an easier game where you don't have any specific abilities um, and you just automatically have four actions each round and that's it. If you do play with the actual roll cards, there are ones that are either better at dealing with 
um, getting people out of the house, better with dealing with hazmat. There's one guy who has five actions instead of four. There's one guy who can drive the fire truck better. <laughs> like it, it's all different roles like that that really specialize um, kind of what they can do. Uh, which again, I'm going to make this reference a lot in this review because it harkens back to pandemic, yep. um, where in pandemic you have the specific roles and you really kind of form the way you play based on that. Um, that's a lot of what this game allows you to do if you. Um, go with the specific roll cards. Um, the other thing that I like about this game um, are the just the whole look of it. Um, it's very kind of clean and straightforward. I like the little firefighter minis. Uh, like those are pretty cool. Uh, and the whole thing is just it packs up nice and neat. It's a small like a smaller box um, compared to some of the other games that we have on our shelf. Um, so it's easier to transport and things like that. But setup, playtime, and breakdown is all really fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you can get through a good game of this even with like four or five players, um, under an hour, easy. Yeah, sure. Like forty-five minutes is probably I think what they said is an average game. Um, and like you said, it, it it's kind of deceptive in that, um, like the the box is smaller. It is a simpler setup and teardown. Um, but I mean, it gets really fast paced as you get into it. Um, each player starts, uh, the house will start already on fire and you go through, you put in your fire, you put in what they call point of interest POIs, which are the tokens that may be a person you need to save or maybe an animal or maybe nothing. Yeah. Right. Um, and you don't know it first. All you see until you get there, all you see is the backside of it, which is just a question mark. Um, if you are playing with a more advanced rule set, like the veteran rule set, and you have picked different characters, there is one that has the FLIR, so the thermal imaging, and they can tell you what which one of them is a person. So that could be something that you could plan to help yourself out. Um, but remember, while you're doing that, if the house explodes and you know catches fire everywhere, it doesn't matter if you can see them, you have to be able to get to them and put the fires out. Right. So this game, as you're playing, it's very straightforward. You have your actions that you do. Um, you go in, you can put fires out. Uh, one of the things I like that they do is it's not just on fire or not on fire. You also have that median kind of like there's smoke in the room. Right. right. Um, which is, um, I mean, really kind of reminiscent of what real fire is like. Um that that smoke can then turn into fire like very easily, um, which is kind of cool because, you know, if you think about a house being on fire, if there's smoke, there's probably fire nearby. It's probably going to spread to where you are soon. Um, so one of those things um, I we did upgrade our copy. Um, we found some um, custom acrylic pieces that represent the smoke and they have a little slot in them for fire for when the when smoke turns to fire. Um, so that's a really cool upgrade. There's a lot of stuff like that out there that you can find for a lot of board games, but we did upgrade this one. Um, the, the tradition of the tokens that come with it, um, one side is fire and you just right. flip it over for smoke or vice versa. Yep. Um, so you can, as you're working through the house, you can put out fire, um, or you can turn it to smoke, whichever you have the actions for, um, and whichever your choice to do. And, but at the end of, after you're done making all your actions, then you have to roll for fire. Um, the board is made up into a grid, which is a six by eight grid. Yes. Um, and you have two dice that you roll. One is a D six, one is a D eight, whatever space you roll, then that is the space that is then on fire. 
things get really bad if the space you roll already has fire in it, um, because that's what causes an explosion. And it explodes in all four directions from that space. So it you add fire to each adjacent space to it. The only problem is if there's already fire in that space, the fire travels to the next space out. Right. So it can get to the point where, you know, you're having fire shoot all the way across the house. Um, things you didn't expect to be on fire now on fire, including firefighters and point of interest. So um, you have to kind of be very careful and watch out for that. And that's that randomized part of it that we talked about. Because uh, at the end of each of your turns, you roll that to see where a new fire is going to pop up. So with each player's turn, the fire can get uh, definitely bigger and more dangerous to move into. And then for the person that I know there's one person that can be out on the truck using the actual water cannon, they roll for, it's not like they just aim through a window. They have to roll to see uh, which quadrant or where in the quadrant they're spraying the water cannon and well. So another kind of random variation that gets in there. Um, And that one could be a big help or if it's, you know, somebody that can't roll, it could be, you know, pretty useless. Right. Uh, but I think, again, that adds to kind of the enjoyment of the game. Um, so one thing, the, the main way to lose, um, there are two ways. One, if you run out of point of interest tokens um, before you're able to save seven people. Um, so the way you lose those is if they're consumed by fire, uh, which is normally normally pretty bad. Yeah, that's considered bad. Yeah. The other way is if the house collapses. So the fire can damage walls as well as firefighters can break down walls to get through them. Um, if too many of the walls become broken, the house becomes unstable and collapses. Uh, so that's the other way to lose the game. Uh, but other than that, I like, it's a very straightforward game. Um, it's not too complicated. Like we said, very easy to explain, um, but still a very enjoyable, like kind of intro level cooperative game. So let's go through our rating system and let's talk about, um, how we normally rate games. Uh, we start with value. I looked it up online right now. This game is running, um, about twenty nine ninety nine uh, on, I'm pretty sure that's on Amazon. Uh, so about 30 bucks for the game. Which I think for this game is excellent price. Um, there are better cooperative games out there, but they're not a lot that are this simple. Right. Um, and this is sort of a unique theme. Um, there's been one other game that I know of um, that had uh, firefighters in like kind of a brush fire situation um, that was similar to this. There was some other differences, but um, like theme wise, that was pretty much it. So it's not a really like overused theme, uh, which I enjoy in games because uh, I mean, everybody's a trader in the Mediterranean. If you look at board games, um, so it kind of creates a different scenario in that, that regards um, also with the ability to change the board um, as well as, you know, the other variations you can make. Um, I think it has really good value just right off the bat. I, I think I would give it probably a solid seven. Yeah. And that rolls into the replayability as well. Um, how, you know, your value is going to be how much you're going to get out of this game. Being able to swap the board, like you said, is really big. Um, and like we talked about, uh, and from my standpoint, fire is unpredictable. So you never know where that flame is going to go. And the randomness to that, I think is what makes it, um, gives you a lot more replayability and definitely adds to the value for 30 bucks. I mean, for a board game, uh, that's pretty good. Right. So I, 
again, I like to compare board games sometimes to like, what else would I spend 30 bucks on? Um, and tacos. yeah, <laughs> tacos. Yep. I mean, but seriously, food, I mean, a decent meal at most places for two people is going to run you anywhere from 25 to 30 bucks usually. Um, so that's one meal for an hour, or you have a game that you can play at least five times. That's going to oh, be yeah. different every time. I mean, the, the the enjoyment level there, I mean, you could also consider movies. I mean, one trip oh. to the movies is easily 30 bucks for two people after you include snacks and stuff, um, even if you smuggle them in from Walmart. Um, but you'll get that two hours for 30 bucks or, you know, again, you can get multiple playthroughs, multiple experiences for that price. So right. I think at that price point, easily, easily a good value. Sure. Sure. Bring the date over, cook dinner play some flashpoint fire rescue right that's been your dapper meeple dating advice for this episode <laughs> all right so let's talk about the components so we talked about we upgraded our components which you know great they are kind of cool with the like i said the acrylic components that we were able to put in there but the components that come out of the box um are pretty standard i think like they're uh just you know the the fires and stuff are punch outs uh cardboard they're well done um they're going to give you, I guess, your standard life for a board game. Yeah, I mean, the art on them is pretty straightforward. It's nothing really fancy or anything like that. I do enjoy the little fireman meep or the fireman token meeple dudes. Right. Um, those are pretty cool. Uh, but other than that, all the other pieces in the game is just your standard punch out cardboard. So, I mean, that being said, nothing too fancy. I'd probably give it a six sure. on components. I mean, they're functional. They do what they need to do. They represent what they need to represent. Um, iconography and stuff like that is clean on them. It's not a lot of confusion there. Um, I do like how down the sides of the board, um, it does show the different faces of the dice. Yes. So that, you know, for that way you can just match up which one you rolled. Sure. Because in the dice, you roll a D six and a D eight for that grid. Right. And the D eight is actual Arabic numerals. And the D six is pips. Yep. So, I mean, like, so that, yeah, that's definitely like you get that instant connection with the visuals. Um, so gameplay. So gameplay, it's the same. You're, you're playing the same kind of thing every time. Now with the advanced rules, you can, change up what you're doing maybe have a different plan um you know play somebody different uh so depending on how many people you have playing because it's two to six yeah yeah you know it gives you a lot of like opportunity to change how you want to attack this fire and how you want to go into there what i like about the gameplay though too like we've said is that it's random so you you know get in there you have a plan and somebody rolls the wrong way and that fire explodes in front of you and your plan is just gone. You're playing as firefighters and fire follows its own rules. Yeah. One thing I will say about player count is I think the game gets more difficult at a higher player count mm -hmm. just simply because you're not able to do whatever your plan is before like multiple fire rolls. Right. So for instance, if you're playing as two players, you have this plan, you do your move, you roll for fire. You know there's going to be one more fire roll before you get to do more stuff. So that's one chance of things literally exploding in your face. Now you're playing with four people. Now you have three more fire rolls before you get to do whatever it is you were trying to do. Right. right. Um, and I've noticed this playing that, um, like say you go to rescue a person. Well, 
due to the rules, you can only move that person two spaces every turn. Um, just because it costs two actions to move a person. So you do that for your first turn. You're only two spaces away from where you were. If they were in a bad spot, you're not that far away. Right. Um, and to have that many fire rolls in between, there's a pretty big chance that, you know, you might be caught in the fire. Right. So that's my only real, like, downside to gameplay is that scaling does make the game more difficult. Sure. But, I mean, again, that's part of the game. Um, if you have other players actually affecting the area around you, um, so it almost helps to kind of do, like, as a four-player game, a two-person team, basically. Right. Working in tandem to, you know, get this person out of the house, keep the fire down around them, like that sort of thing. You could really kind of play it that way, um, which, again, is kind of reminiscent of the way real firefighters operate. So, you know, going in and helping each other out and making sure everybody makes it back out of the house. So... Gameplay, I think it's a solid game, solid cooperative game. Um, I'd say probably I would give it a solid seven. That's from seven, maybe pushing into the bottom side of eight. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely a fun, like pretty much lighter game that's easy to pick up and easy to play. Um, not a, I think there's a lot of replayability, but I mean, not as much as some of the other games that we've played. Uh, you only have two boards to play from. You do have the two different rule sets. Um, but you're kind of facing the same thing. It's just how it develops from that. So I'm looking at, for me, it's like six, maybe a seven in replayability. Yeah. I'd say probably I'd give it a six because eventually you are going to run out of like the enjoyment of playing it. Cause it is going to be a very similar game after that. Right. Um, so overall, what would you, what would you say? I think overall, this one comes in at about a seven for me. Um, just, it's a good game. It's, uh, there's a lot of change and a lot of quick reaction that you got to be on top of for this one. Um, like you said, when you, if you've played it a lot yourself, you're going to start running into the same scenarios over and over again. But, you know, as you bring new people into play, you're definitely going to get something different as new people begin to do the problem solving that it takes to put the fire out. Right. I do think this is one of those really good intro to cooperative game sure. games. Um, especially for people who come from a non-gamer background or who have only ever played games, you know, like the classic board games, Monopoly, Clue, that sort of thing. This is gives you an opportunity to really show them something that they've never seen before. Yes. Um, and that's always good in this hobby to really be able to expand people's boundaries as far as that goes. Um, so overall, I think I would probably give it a seven as well. Um because it's got a really good hook to kind of pull people in. Um, but people who are interested in the hobby are probably going to outgrow it pretty quickly. Sure. Um, now, there are some pretty interesting expansions that have come out for it. Right. It has had eight expansions yeah. uh, that combine with the base game. Urban Structures, Second Story, uh, Extreme Danger, Veteran and Rescue Dog, Dangerous Waters, which sounds like the search and rescue side of it, uh, Honor and Duty, and then Tragic Events. Right, so we have not played any of the expansions, so we can't really speak to what they are or are not, whether they're good or whatever. But um, So any game that has had eight expansions, though, has obviously shown some success for the developer to continue to put time and effort into them. Um, so that being said, uh, one of the reasons why this is one of my favorite games... Um, so this is actually one of... Or the only game... Um, that we were able to ever get our dad to play with us. Yeah. 
Um, so, uh, for those of you who don't know, our dad passed away a couple of years ago. Um, but years before that, we were just starting to get into the hobby. So every time we got together at Thanksgiving and Christmas, I would bring a huge bag of board games. And it would always be our goal to play through as many of them as we could in those couple of days at a time. Um, we usually only got through like one or two. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, especially when Clank Legacy came out. But that's that's a whole other story. Um, but this was one of the few games or the only game that we were able to get our dad to sit down and play with us. Um, and it took some convincing, too. But we were finally able to have him have him play so it's it holds a special place for me for that um but at the end of the day it is still a a good solid game to play um especially to share with people who are not into board games um and maybe who have never played something like the designer board games we love flashpoint fire rescue go see if your local game shop has it um if not uh, target i know i've seen this one pop up there when they do some of their board game sales and stuff go give it a chance let us know and good luck So guys, we're going to end with our Kickstarter roundup, as we normally do in the show. All right, so got a got a couple of good board games here. Of one of them is extremely different. I, um, and then we have um, some cool board game artwork um, that we're going to talk about. So um, first up, we'll talk about the first board game. Um, it is Scarface nineteen twenty. Uh, so this game has already been uh, backed and already reached its goal, has already pushed through a lot of its stretch goals, um, well on its way to finishing all of those. Um, so it was funded, I think, within an hour, I think is what it said. Um, but the basis on it is um, set in the 1920s gangster territory. You are a mob boss. You control one of four different gangs. Um, I love the setting, first off. Right. Um, the whole 1920s setting. I love the art, the design, that kind of thing. The whole nine yards of that. Um, I like how it uses like people, too. Like It's got Al, Al Capone in it, Elliot Ness, and the Untouchables. Like That's cool. Like Let's actually reach out into history for that. So it is a, a worker placement slash card drafting um, a deck building type game uh, where you are trying to build up your um, your organization here, take control of certain areas on the board, um, as well as just make more money while avoiding the cops. Sure. And the map is 1920 Chicago. Like, I mean, like they pulled it out of the archives and cut it up for the board game. Yep. Um, it looks very fun. Uh, there's a lot of, I, I love the minis on it. Um, they have the different four color minis. Um, that are all the different kinds of bad guys, which some of the, um, uh, some of the stretch goals were like new molds for the minis. So there's going to be even more variation in those. Um, it looks very interesting with the types of actions and stuff you do. Um, the various jobs you can pick up, uh, the currency in the game is guns and alcohol. Right. Um, so (laughs) 1920s prohibition. Sure. So for those of you that don't remember, in history class, the government thought it would be a good idea to outlaw alcohol at one point and gave us gang wars. Thanks, guys. The main goal of this game, of course, is to become the best crime boss out of everyone uh, by gathering up the most money um, through the various different missions and jobs that you can do. 
like I said, throughout the whole thing, it looks very interesting. There, Each mob boss has variable player powers that are different from the others, so they will affect the way that you play. Um, the overall game looks to play pretty similar between the different bosses. They just have little tweaks of how you can kind of play those out. Um, the video that they made for the Kickstarter is absolutely hilarious. Right. Uh, it's very well done. Uh, they did a lot of, of good stuff there. Um, you know, it's typical gangster stuff, what you would expect. Um, the job cards you get, you got like midnight delivery, kidnapping, um, missing witnesses, like <laughs> all sorts of things like that. Um, the artwork on the cards looks very good. Um, it, it's kind of a cartoonish take on like the 1920s, which I think is yeah, very, like very good artwork. Um, yeah, right now they have uh, a ton of stretch goals unlocked. So this is a good one to hop on. Like it's it's definitely going to be funded um as well as um they have some really cool add-ons you can get too. Uh like they have some wooden crates for some of the the like alcohol and gun minis. Um they got some specific like custom mold miniatures. Uh they have different like some plastic pieces that mark different types of businesses and stuff you can open, um, special card sleeves, things like that. Um, just really extras you can throw onto your pledge. The uh, Red Zen Games is uh, a new gaming company. Uh, this is their first game that they're producing out of, uh, and they're out of Barcelona, Spain. So it looks very interesting. It looks like it has potential. Um, so definitely something to take a look at now price point wise on this one is a little pricey. Um, so it is normally 99 euros, which translates to about 118 us dollars. Um, so that plus shipping, you're probably looking at being out about, I'd say 140 bucks for the game. Um, that's a little pricey, uh, compared to a lot of games, but this game does have a lot of miniatures in it. Um, and it has a lot of other things like that. So I could see kind of production along with shipping and things like that is going to be pretty expensive. Um, especially with the way prices are right now in the world, things seem to be going a little crazy. So I'm not surprised to see it kind of inching up a little bit there. Um, but that is for $118 pledge that includes the core game as well as all the unlocked stretch goals. Um, you can go up a pledge, um, go to $166, uh, which puts us with, uh, you get card sleeves, you get those wooden crates I was talking about, the new plastic markers, and then of course the core game and the stretch goals. So those are kind of the two, the two main tiers. Um, that you can pledge on it, but this definitely looks like a good game. Go take a look at it, uh, especially watch the video. Like I said, even just for the entertainment factor, it's excellent. There are 22 days left on their Kickstarter as of June 22nd. Uh, next up, let's talk Heroes of Barcadia. Um, they have already met their goals. Uh, this is another one that is already funded and uh, well overfunded. It looks like they're starting to push through so many of their stretch goals. Um, one of the big things that I love, this is a game, uh, your character is represented by a glass, like a pint glass, and there are health bars on the backside of the glass to show how your character is doing. Now, if you're following along, kids, when something happens, you drink out of your glass. When you take damage, you drink. And as that goes down, your character is taking damage. Um, I love this idea for this looks like a great game to sit around and play, uh, you know, at a bar like this thing was designed to go into a board game bar. 
Absolutely. Um, the the board itself is made up of coasters um, that you place in a pattern across the board. So they're all upside down to begin with. So your game is going to be different every time because you never know what you are going to come up against. Um so with that, each coaster could have a monster on it or something like that. The game is full of puns, <laughs> and as well as the whole idea of the glass being your health bar is something very unique and different. Like nobody's done that before. Um, so this is actually the company behind this one is um, called Rollacrit, and it's by a bunch of former Think Geek employees. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So which this starts it, to make sense now. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, the main designer says this is something that he's been working on for about like six years, um, give or take. So the whole purpose of the game is you're trying to battle your way through all these different monsters uh, to try and make your way to the Grand Drink Guardian. Um, Each one you flip over uh, that is a monster. You take a D20, you roll it to see if you either beat or are defeated by the monster. If you are defeated, you have to drink from your glass because your health goes down. Um, Throughout the dungeon, you may find like health potions that will increase your drink so you get to fill it back up um, and go from there. Uh, It looks like a very fun game, like very lighthearted kind of game. Yeah. Now, of course, you don't have to fill your cup with alcoholic beverages if that's not your preference. You can use whatever kind of liquid you want to put in there, uh, but seems like this is an absolutely fun game. Sure. And they've already apparently got uh, connections into Roll20. So uh, it looks like it's something that you'll be able to play online with friends. Uh, so if you have people far away, uh, they'll be able to see that and be able to play online. Um, and I also love, too, that the entire... Everything in the board is waterproof. Yes. Which is great for a game that involves liquids <laughs> right? part like, of the game. <laughs> like, these guys were on top of things when they were putting this together. Like, you know that in some of the playthroughs, somebody knocked over a drink. It happened. Right. And like, you know what? Maybe we should make this stuff out of plastic. Uh, so I think that's really cool. Like I said, this game was designed to go into a game cafe slash bar somewhere. Um, so it looks really good. This one looks like a lot of fun. Uh, check this one out. It has... Uh, 15 days left on its Kickstarter uh, from the 22nd of June. Uh, but they their goal was 50 grand, and they are already at like 622. So it's funded. Um, if you want to pick it up, uh, definitely check them out and uh, see what you can pledge. Do we talk about pledge levels? Uh, we haven't yet. So there are a couple of levels that it starts at. Um, the actual first pledge where for individuals that you can get is $60. Um, So that includes the entire base game, as well as the Kickstarter stretch goals that are unlocked. Um, And you'll be able to purchase the add-ons too, which they have, they have some pretty cool add-ons as well, Uh, but it includes everything you need to play. Um, It comes with six cups. um, So six characters off the bat um, that you get to play with. Um, Now there is another, um, Upgrade to this for twenty more dollars. You can get um, like the expanded party um, upgrade, which adds two more cups, so you can play with up to eight players. Excuse me. As well as um, each, even in the original, you get six die, um, six twenty-sided die of different colors to use with the different cups. 
Um, that way you, everyone has their own die. You don't got to worry about that. Um, you also get all of the tiles, everything like that. In the party version, you get the additional dice for your um, the two new players. Two new, yeah, the two new characters. Yep. Um, there are a few other like loot cards and power-ups and things like that that are only included in the um, expanded party one. So $20 seems like a very good upgrade for it. Yeah. Um, definitely definitely seems like an interesting game. And 60 bucks isn't a terrible like price point for board games, um, as well as one that is as unique as this. Definitely. Um, I like this one. Uh, I know that, um, you know, big news for us local here in Virginia Beach, we are getting our first cafe slash board game bar. Um, and I, I hope we can see this one in there. That would be great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If not, I'm probably going to back this and we'll bring it. So I was going to say, I'll, I'll just bring my own. Yeah. yeah. I like the plan. Um, all right. The last one that you found. All right, so the last one we're talking about um, is a board game calendar. So this is the 2022 board game mosaic calendar. Um, if you take a look at this real quick, uh, one thing I love about this is this lady, um, her name is Katia Howitson. Uh, she went in and she makes this artwork where she uses pieces from games to make the art. So little meeples or little wooden pieces or whatever type of game pieces, she puts them together in a mosaic pattern to make the artwork of other games. So this Kickstarter is specifically for the 2022 calendar. Um, it has a couple other things that you can add on, like a 12 by 12 prints and things like that, as well as magnets uh, that you can get of her artwork. Um, so some of the games that she has in her artwork for this calendar, um, is, uh, the guy from role player, which is the cover of the game. If you've ever seen role player, it's got a dude in a suit of armor. She had, that's one of them. Um, that's actually February. Um, may is a chronicles of crime one, which is my wife's favorite game. Uh, excellent art done there. Um, there's a couple others in here. September Vindication. Um, again, looks like the front of the artwork of the box. Um, On Mars, Too Many Bones, Star Realms, just to name a couple of the other ones. Um, but they are all excellent pieces of art. Yeah. Um, and the closer you look at them, the cooler they get because of the way you see the different game pieces. Right. She's making them this mosaic of the pieces that come out of those games. And it just, I mean, they look so good, like far away. And then as you get closer, you start to be able to pick out like the individual meeples and the individual pieces that she's put together. They said it probably averaged, I mean, countless hours to get this stuff together to find the right game pieces for each one. Um, so like each piece, it said averages seven to ten hours for her to assemble, uh, which I mean, that's, you know, uh, that's a lot of work for an artist to put it together. Um, and it is so worth it. These look fantastic. Right, so pledge level. Um, so there's a couple of levels here. You can pledge about two dollars to just to start. It'll get you access to the pledge manager, um, which for a lot of Kickstarters I will do that if I'm not 100 percent sure that I want to back them. Um, it gives me an opportunity to look at the pledge manager when it comes out and decide then. Um, if you do actually want to get a calendar, uh, it's 17 bucks is the pledge level, which really is not bad for a calendar. I don't know if you've got calendar shopping lately. Uh, no, not since the beginning of the year. Yeah. Um, but this, uh, for something with unique artwork like this, that's not a terrible price to pay. Um, if you want to get two of them, you're looking at 29 bucks. So again, you can save the more you get. 
Um, if you want to go ahead, so she has a couple of their items on here that you can do as add-ons. Um, she has a mug that's got different kinds of artwork you can get on it. Um, she also has a set of tin magnets, which are artwork from the calendar um, in smaller magnet forms. And there is an enamel pin. Um, so you can get all that um, plus a copy of the calendar for $41. Um, so again, it's about 15% off the normal price if you buy it as a bundle. Uh, but either way, she has some excellent art. So it's something that definitely want you guys to go and take a look at. Um, if you enjoy board games like we do, um, this is a very unique way of displaying kind of artwork of them. Uh, as of right now, she's only got 48 hours left on this Kickstarter. So uh, for most of you, when you're listening to this, it'll probably be finished. But you can probably most Kickstarters afterwards will still let you uh, slip an order in or do a late backing or something like that. Yep. So. And if not, I know that she does sell her stuff in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might be something just to take a look at um, her other social medias um, and see where you can find her artwork because um, it's definitely unique um, and something to take a look at. And as we pull that last rescue out of the building, that brings this game to an end. For the Dapper Meeple, I've been Josh. And I'm still Jim. Good night, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for sticking around and listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, let me ask you a favor. Follow us and leave us a like wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us out. And if you have anything to say back to us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for the Dapper Meeple. On Twitter, our handle is at the Dapper Meeple, or email us at dappermeeplegaming at gmail.com. And as always, we'll save you a seat at the table.